Good morning. So you've got me today. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. And well, actually, you know, you might have all, you might think, gosh, I wish I would have gone and had a, a longer lie-in and uh, maybe missed church today. But anyway. Um, so we're continuing our series, our missional uh, series, our missional life series. And today is about work. Now, before you all switch off and think, gosh, I wish I would have stayed in bed. Um, work, I'm going to define what work is, but um, it's not all about those of, us, uh, those of us who just are employed, paid work. It's about, it can be about your front line. Your front line is the place where you spend much of your time, where you meet people who don't know Jesus. It's the place uh, God has called uh, full of possibility and potential. So can you all think, if you're not in paid employment, while I'm speaking, can you think, right, okay, what is my front line? Where is my front line? Where does God place me with this potential and possibility? Because we want to make a difference, don't we? You know, in our missional lives, we want to make a difference and share God with anybody and everybody that we meet. For those of you that don't know, I'm uh, an area manager, which sounds very, very amazing, but it's not really. I'm an area manager of a chain of, a sm- of some day nurseries. So I oversee, we've actually got four nurseries now. We used to have five Uh, but we got rid of one last year, thank goodness, and we've only got four now. So I travel around nurseries, and predominantly, and the reason why I'm telling you this, because it'll give you some context when I tell stories, my staff, I've got about 100 staff that I oversee, but they're predominantly a very young, um, female-dominant people that work for us, so they're quite young So you can imagine sometimes what it's like. For those of you who really know me, what that might be like. Anyway, we spend, on average, a third of our life in work. That's amazing, isn't it? That constitutes 90,000 hours. I haven't added it up. It's what I've read. So 90,000 hours we've spent in work. We also spend, on average, 100 hours a year commuting to work. Now, obviously, that's changed because some of us are work from home now. Uh, but 100 hours commuting. And did you know, also another little statistic, is that um, by the age of 30 nowadays... Um, for, the, for, the, for some of that generation, they have changed jobs a number of times. Because now, having a job for life is not a thing. Although I've got a confession to make. This is, I've, I've been in this job nearly six years, and it's the longest I've ever spent in a job. And I'm 53, so I don't know what that says. But, uh, you know, the younger generation will move jobs a lot. And, uh, you know... The, like Steve's brother, he's, he's 58 and he's just retired from what was Ford's now Jaguar. He worked there for 42 years. 42 years he went when he was 16. 
And so, you know, that is unheard of now. Uh, anyway, so people move jobs quite a lot. And in my sector, that is very, very true. I have staff who last a week, last a day, last a few hours, I've had them walk out on me. You know, and you laugh, it is true. It is horrendous because they just, they, they think there's something better. They think, I don't like this. I don't want to do it. It's not right for me. I'll go and find something else. And it is that generation. that they, they have, they, it's very hard to manage. Very, very hard. And, you know, do you know one of the problems is sometimes they want to go and find somewhere better to work. And that's absolutely fine. We might be the most horrendous place to work. That, that's fine. But often the problem is the place of work or the type of work isn't the problem. They are the problem. And they just move to the new place. But the problem goes with them. It's a bit like finding the perfect church. It's impossible, isn't it? There's not a perfect church. Because you know the problem is, we go there. If we leave that church because it didn't do this, we go there. But anyway, this is about work. But it's true, isn't it? We just move if we don't like something. And for my staff, they just go off on one. And they just go, I'm not working here anymore. I'm not doing it. No, that's it. I'm gone. Now, I find this really hard to be this missional person in this workplace at this given time. And I think, oh gosh, now what would Jesus do? But I just go, okay, then that's fine. If this is not right for you, maybe it's, you know, you need to go and bless somewhere else. And that's true for most of us, isn't it? Maybe it's time that we went and blessed somewhere else. Please don't leave our church and go and bless somewhere else. We need you because we've got lots of frontline opportunities here. But I do lose my patience and I can become very, very negative, which again is not being very missional. When I become negative, because, yes, again, if you really know me, you know what that's like. Colossians 1. It says in Colossians 1, We pray that you'll work well for the master, making him proud of you as you work hard in his orchard. As you learn more and more how God works, you will learn how to do your work. We pray that you'll have the strength to stick it out over the long haul, Not the grim strength of gritting your teeth, but the glory strength God gives. It's a strength that strength that endures the endurable, spills over into joy, thanking the Father who makes us strong enough to take part in anything, everything bright and beautiful He has for us. And it is that long haul, isn't it? It's you know sometimes we do it through gritted teeth because God's called us to do this, and that can be if if it's your front line, you might look, not enjoy volunteering, doing a certain role, being in a certain place, and sometimes we can do it through gritted teeth. But God calls us to be in it for the long haul. It's that long obedience in the same direction. Work then is is what most of us spend our lives doing. It's what we give most of our energy to, our thoughts and attention. So few of us, though, connect those 90,000 hours to mission. It's a good bulk of our life, isn't it? Can you imagine if we really connected with that 90,000 hours? 1 Thessalonians 4, verses 11 to 12 
says, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, Steve says, if only, you should mind your own business and work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders, so that you will not be dependent on anyone. There's a warning in this reading because there's a bit of history just before uh, that. Paul urges the Thessalonians to keep calm and mind their own business and to go on working with their hands. I wish half my staff would just mind their own business and get on walking with their, uh, walking, working with their hands rather than, yes, doing other things. The preaching of the second coming had produced an awkward situation in Thessalonians. Thessalonia, sorry. Many of the Thessalonians had given up their daily work and they were standing around waiting for the second coming. They were actually causing absolute havoc. I mean, imagine giving up work now and thinking, right, I'll give up work, I'll give up work. Oh, yes. And I'll wait for the second coming. It's just, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. And apparently they, they, they caused upset. They were really excited and they were telling everybody what they were doing, but actually they were causing absolute havoc. Ordinary life had been disrupted. The problem of making a living had been abandoned. Imagine if we did that now, this now. We could be waiting a long time. And also wasting those gifts that God's given us to use. Those gifts on the front line. Those gifts in our work. Because remember the reading in Colossians 1. It's that long haul, that glory strength. You know, during the pandemic, um, the government very kindly uh, gave employers the opportunity to furlough their staff. Do you remember where they would they agreed to pay a certain percentage of their wages, which was brilliant for us as a company. But do you know what happened? Some of our staff got furlough fever, and they didn't want to come back. <laughs> they were quite happy at home. I don't know whether, I don't think they were waiting for the second coming, but they were certainly had furlough fever. And we had to do a lot of encouraging to get them back to work. Because they were like, well, no, I don't have to come back. But you can imagine them in Thessalonians, can't they, just standing around waiting for the second coming. But Paul gave them, a, a, he told them the best way that, Jesus, that should Jesus return would be for him to find you quietly efficiently and diligently doing your work. So God needs to see us using the gifts, using our hands, using what God has given us for the good of him. When I was reading some of these commentaries, I read this about, uh, it's a guy called Robert Rainey, and he was a principal in Edinburgh, of a college in Edinburgh in the 19th century. And he said this, Today, I must lecture. Tomorrow, I must tend a committee meeting. On Sunday, I must preach. Someday, I must die. Well then, let us do as well as we can, each thing as it comes to us. The thought that one day Christ will come, that life will, uh, as we know it will end, is not a reason for us stopping work. It's a reason for us to work even more harder and more faithfully. Our reading, uh, Colossians 3, 
uh, verse 23, working for the Lord, the reading is referring to to slaves and their masters. Slaves could potentially lack motivation for their work and engage in their responsibilities with an attitude of drudgery. And, uh, but Paul describes a new motivation, and this is something I need to really take on board. Ultimately, they serve a different master. It is him they should seek to please. Christianity never offers us an escape from hard work in this world. It makes us able to work harder, even harder. Nor does it offer escape from difficult situations. It enables us to meet these situations better. And in verse 25, anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong. This would encourage the slaves, uh, encourage slaves who had been unfairly treated by their masters. This is a warning for slaves to conduct their service with integrity. All work is done for God. We do not work for pay or ambition or to satisfy an earthly employer. We work so that every task is we offer it to God. That's a real challenge, isn't it? You know, I go to work because I need some money to, to live, because everything else, because the cost of living is going up. But I've got to see my work as God-given, that that's, I work with my whole heart for God, that I work diligently for him. We need to see work, perhaps then, as a gift Colossians talks about work being a gift to us, something that God has given us. We are happy to serve. We enjoy our job. It what makes us jump up out of bed each morning and say, yippee, I'm going to work today. I'm off to work. I find this really hard, I've got to confess. And I sometimes feel trapped But what does get me excited about working is when staff who I've maybe trained or someone I've got alongside at work has taken on board what I've said. And I go around all the nurseries and I go into the rooms and talk to the staff. And they go, look, Andrea, look what we've done. And I go, oh, wow, you you listened. (laughs) You actually took on board what I said. And I love that. And that's when work for me is an enjoyment You know, maybe there's times where you've done something and you think, gosh, yes, that's great. And someone's taken on board what you've said to them. We've got lots of young apprentices and a lot of our apprentices are between the ages of 16 and 18. So it's a little bit like a parent-child relationship, I've got to say. But some of these apprentices, they've got attitude, I can tell you. And uh, some of them are really really interesting attitudes but some of them are just sponges and there's one young apprentice and I just love I, I, I go and seek it out when I go to this particular nursery I seek her out because she just says oh Andrea look what I've done Andrea what I'm doing this now and Andrea and, and she is just brilliant and I just think well that's that's why I get up in the morning well one of the reasons why I get up in the morning for people like her Sometimes, though, we can see work as a curse. Some of us have a tough time at work, and it fills us with dread. We often become so overwhelmed with stress, we can't face going into work, or even switching the laptop on. 
we forget what God has spoken to us about work being a gift of motivation. We forget what Colossians 3 told us about. I hate HR, you know, human resources, dealing with staff problems. I hate it. It's not what I'm trained to do, yet it consumes a lot of my working day at the moment. Anxiety and well-being are a key feature for my staff, and they use it daily. And I've, as I said, I've had staff walk out because they can't cope. You know, they've, some of them are, some of them are, I've had two girls particularly, one was 21 and one was 22. My anxiety's through the roof. I just can't do this anymore. And, they just, and I said, what? I'm just going. I said, what do you mean you're going? I'm just walking out. What? You're walking out on your job? Yeah, done. I'm done. And you're like, oh my goodness. And it's, and you know, for me, I'm a Christian. I'm called to this missional place. I'm called to be missional. I'm called to love these people. I'm supposed to be Jesus in this place. Well, do you know what? I can tell you, work's a curse for me at those stages. And I think, oh my goodness, I can't do this anymore myself. And I want to give up. And I want to walk out. And I want to have a screaming fit. I don't want to do this anymore. But, do you know, if I think about those 90,000 hours, what am I doing? What would Jesus do in that situation? Would he stick it out through that, that glory strength, that gritted, you know, or would he just, would he give up? You know, it's about asking ourselves, what would Jesus do in those moments? Sometimes when I'm driving home, I, I, try and, I try and leave all my work in the car. So when I come home, I'm this beautiful, dutiful wife to Steve, and I won't hassle him with what's been going on. And I try my best in the car to think, because those 100 hours that we, we use commuting, I drive to Liverpool most days, so I've got, there's a lot of hours there, a lot of time to pray, a lot of time to worship, a lot of time to think through what I've said. I try my best to reflect on what I've done. I try my best to think, did I show Jesus in those situations? Was I Jesus in those situations? Was I missional? Often the answer is no, but sometimes it's yes, because I feel that I've given my best. I've used my hands as in uh, 1 Thessalonians says, I've, I've been diligent. I do find it hard, though, being a Christian in work, uh, working um, with all my heart. But my inheritance and my reward is from the Lord, because it quite clearly tells me in Colossians 3. Another thing we can see work as is work as an idol. It's when it becomes our identity and meaning. And maybe in your front line, it's what your identity is. It's when we allow that thing to really take over who we really are. It's when work becomes, or our front line becomes, second place to God. How does our relationship with God, with work, enhance our missional life? This is an important question, isn't it? And one maybe that you can't uh, answer straight away, but one that maybe you need to go away and think about. Have you made the thing that you spend your, most of your time doing 
your idol. Sometimes we're offered promotion in work, which is right, and it's about recognising what we've done and our hard work. And it affirms the gifts that we've been given and talents. And it might be one that you can shape the atmosphere. If you've been given promotion, you then can influence what happens in your workplace. But everyone's work and context is different. However, we need to see these 90,000 hours as a missional opportunity and one that's not to be missed. And sometimes, you know, people see objects in their work. So, like, their desk is so important to them. And don't you touch my desk. Don't you come anywhere near my desk. Once, many, many years ago, I was off. And the office I was actually in, they moved my desk to another room. And I was shoved out in the back with a woman I didn't want to share with. But you know what? For me, that was my identity. That was my desk. You moved my desk and you didn't ask me. For some people, it's keys, isn't it? Having keys and having those keys because keys can sometimes mean power. And I'm sure you're all thinking, hmm, that's a bit like church as well. If we've got keys, or dare I say, if we've got a car parking pass. But anyway, because that's our identity and we've made that our idol. We've made those objects become an idol. It doesn't really matter at the grand scheme of things where my desk was. But I didn't particularly like this person. I grew to like her and I think, I don't know what, do you know what I did? Yeah, that's what I did. I actually managed to get my desk back into the main office. I was like, oh, I'm going to make some space here. I'm going to do some tiling because I wanted to feel part of the team. So, yeah. It was, it was, yeah, I didn't like that. Anyway, so how can we ensure that work, uh, our work is part of our missional life and not something separate? Number one, atmosphere. We have the opportunity to set the tone wherever we go. Because we are the light of Jesus. We are what God calls us. We are those people that go into those places. It's our attitude, isn't it? Now, Walt Disney said three, there's three types of people in this world. You know who Walt Disney is, don't you? So there's the well poisoners. They're the people who discourage others, stomp on their creativity, and tell them what they can't do. That's a well poisoner. Then there's the lawnmowers. They have good intentions, but are self-absorbed. They, mow, they who mow their own lawns but never help others. Then there's the life enhancers. They're people who reach out to enrich the lives of others, who lift them up and inspire them. For me, I've been um, spending a lot of time trying to change the atmosphere in our workplaces because, you know, it's a place, uh, you know, it's a young staff team, it's, minim- it's minimum wage, uh, they don't get sick pay, you know, it's, it's hard work and um, for very little reward sometimes. So we've been looking at how we can enhance people's uh, well-being. We have a 
Treat Tuesday, Wellbeing Wednesday and Thoughtful Thursday. So we do all lots of different things going on in work and we've tried to do that. And um, I've worked very hard with my managers to try and support them in this because I think if I can do it with them, maybe it will spill out to the staff teams. And that's been true because I've spent time with people and I try and be this positive person. You know, I'm quite a, um, an, I'm an extrovert uh, and I'm quite loud and people know when I'm there. So I try and use that to my advantage. I try and make sure that I go about uh, talking to the staff. And I make it my business, and this is hard, I can name every single staff member in our nurseries. I try and go into each of the rooms and say, how are you doing today? And I try and remember certain things about their personal life because I feel that's important, because it's about creating the right atmosphere. And in your front line or in your work, how can you create that positive atmosphere? Another thing we can do is work hard. <laughs> it goes without saying, Colossians has made that very clear for us. I'm always prepared at times to go that extra mile to give that 110% to my work and I never do anything that I wouldn't sorry what was that yeah if I asked a staff member to do something like say for instance clean the toilet or something or go and tie that up I, I would go and do it myself and a couple of weeks ago we've been having a few issues with our staff rooms and our toilets and they weren't very very clean and so I decided to go and clean the toilet and the sink and sort it all out. And two of the staff came and went, what are you doing, Andrea? And I went, I'm cleaning the toilet. Why are you doing that? Well, I work here. This is what we do. And so I try and work hard, show, show, show my staff that I would roll my sleeves up and do those things as well as asking them to do them. Another thing is Relationships. And relationships is probably at the core of everything that we do. It doesn't matter who we are or where we are. Relationships are so important. And again, I've worked really hard at this. I've told you I know every single staff member by their first name. I try and recall things about them. And my, I've got four managers who lead the nurseries. And I spend a lot of time listening to them. I spend a lot of time using some of those skills that I've learned as a Christian to get alongside them. And I had the opportunity very recently to actually pray for one of my managers. I mean, my workplace is probably that there's not, I can't, I think there's about one or two Christians, but I'm not really certain. But I have actually managed to have time to pray with one of my managers. But mission is about relationships it's about getting to know people so in our front line and in our work how are we working on those relationships to be more missional Napoleon Bonaparte during the French Revolution he was excellent at making his team feel important and included because what he did is he walked amongst his men and a, a camp, and he greeted every single one of them by their name. He knew their families. He took time to, spe to, to speak to them, and they had a sense of well, you know, a sense of belonging as they were there on the um, 
on the war front. But we need to find ways to include others and to build those relationships, even when it's hard to do so.